Welcome to Inside the OC, a podcast about the world's largest participatory sporting event, the United States Bowling Congress Open Championships. Join Matt Canizero and Daniel Farish as they talk to some of the greatest names in the history of the tournament. The Eagles are ready. Let's take flight. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Inside the OC podcast. My name is Matt Canizero. Glad to be back. It's been a week. And uh, we are here with a, a great guest today, one of the brightest stars on Team USA and the PBA Tour. Uh, before we welcome in Kyle Troop, let's talk with Daniel Farish, my co-host and sidekick now at the USBC Open Championships. Welcome, sir. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's great to be back on the air talking OC. We've been talking a lot about the Open Championships. And before we get going here, certainly we want to talk about what's happening uh, outside of the podcast, and that's the OC Bracket Challenge. Yes. It is a fun way for us to celebrate the great history of the Open Championships. We're going all the way back to 1901. We've got different categories. Uh, 32 of the best people, moments, and performances in Open Championships history. An opportunity to learn about the event uh, and teach some folks out there. Of course, have some great discussion, have people talking about the OC before we get ready to head to Reno in September. Now, for you personally, you mentioned just how much you've had the opportunity to learn uh, and enjoy just looking at the at just the topics and then some photos and videos and such. Talk about that before we bring in Kyle and talk about his role in OC history. Yeah, I think I told you that running this bracket challenge has really made me excited for the OC this year, more so than I was beforehand. Um, you know, going back, looking at the history, for example, you know, pitting against one another, you know, which um, tradition was was the more more special to the OC, Joe Bowler or Center Isle, and kind of reading about the history behind those. You know, going back, asking which um, innovation in the sport affected the OC the most: the automatic pin setters or automatic scoring units, automatic scoreboards. Um, you know, looking at old photos, the 1901 precedent that was set to build custom lanes instead of using a bowling center versus the permanent home in Reno at the National Bowling Stadium. Um, I, I knew a lot about the history just from working with you over the last year. I learned pretty quickly that I was going to have to know the history if I was going to work with you because, like, every day you'd hit me with a random, hey, what happened in this year? Why is this year important? Who owns the most 300s? Who has, you know, who's tied for the most 800s? All this kind of stuff. And um, it's really been enjoyable, and I'm really looking forward to this year's event. Well, I, I will say I probably know more about the Open Championships uh, than, than any one person should, uh, but that's what we get paid <laughs> to do. Of course, we're here to, to learn and teach, and uh, it helps make what we do a little bit easier and uh, we're more uh, informative with our, our stories and you can only write about a 300 game so many ways. Uh, but if you can add in all those little details, uh, it certainly makes it more fun. But uh, speaking of fun and automatic scoring all in one, uh, let's bring him in. It is PBA champion and team USA member, Kyle troop, son of PBA superstar and champion as well. It's Guppy troop and uh, Kyle's a character. How's it going, sir? What's up guys. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. well, we are glad to have you. Uh, we know your OC career has been relatively short, but uh, certainly not without exciting moments. We're going to talk about some of those along the way here. Uh, first, let's just catch up. How are things going? You're in North Carolina. Uh, you've been home, of course. We've all been kind of doing things on the down low and, and just uh, getting through it. But uh, certainly an opportunity for you to, to maybe enjoy some family time and some other things as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, this break kind of caught us all off guard, of course. And, um, you know, it was nice having some time home, especially with some of the family things that have happened the past couple months. 
And uh, so it's been nice, you know, Guppy, I've uh, been taking care of Gup, you know, living at home right now with Guppy and my brother. And uh, so it's been nice. We've got a lot of family time. Probably played a little too much golf the last couple months, and I'm still not very good at it. But uh, getting Guppy out on the golf course and, you know, fast forward a little bit through this break. And, hey, you know, we got bowling back on TV with PBA and stuff. And, and uh, you know, the centers are starting to open up in North Carolina now. So, you know, it's uh, time to switch the practice from golf back to more towards bowling because, yeah, I'm excited to get back out there, especially the little bit that we've got a taste of already. You know, it, uh, it feels good to get the competitive juices flowing and, and, you know, just getting the bowling shoes back on. Now, tell us about growing up a little bit with uh, with Guppy Choop and hanging out with him. He's, of course, uh, uh, a fun guy, of course, and 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 very colorful. And and uh, we know that from watching some of the YouTube videos. I actually bowled or crossed with him at times uh, in the PBA South region. You were just a, a kid back then, uh, so not quite on the scene yet. Uh, but always fun to to chat with him and uh, just tell us about that. It's some uh, some big uh, shoes to fill for you and your career as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I couldn't have asked for a uh, better role model growing up. You know, Guppy being one of the entertainers of the sport, uh, you know, credit him for pretty much most of my personality. You know, growing up, I was in a bowling center all the time. So, you know, and who was I watching? Watching my dad most of the time. And and uh, he always put on a big show for the fans. And, you know, obviously the, the clothes and stuff I took from him, the troop tradition. But, uh, you know, just from the personality side, I was really blessed to grow up with Guppy as my father. And, uh, you know, from the competitive side, you know, I, I thank him for being a bowler when I grew up because I know I wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for him. And, uh, you know, the shoes were quite big to fill. Uh, and it, there was definitely some pressure, you know, at a younger age coming out on tour. Guppy's son, you know, I got the Afro, but not really bowling too great. But, you know, now I feel like I'm starting to fill those shoes a little bit more. I'm catching up to him in title count. I see him sweating sometimes now back home because, you know, we have the <laughs> – the family, the family insider, you know, eight titles ain't going to be enough, but uh, it, it's been fun. Yeah. You know, I'm just happy that, you know, blessed to be able to carry the troop name on in the PBA and, you know, hopefully I can continue to build my brand and, you know, carry the troop legacy even further and higher up into the title counts and record books of PBA and the open championships, which I need to get to work on. <laughs> That's right. We'll, uh, we'll get into that. You started your OC career back in 2013 and had a couple close calls along the way, but uh, no titles yet. And uh, certainly, again, we'll, we'll talk about those big moments. Uh, but coming back to, to where Kyle Troop came from, uh, I know that once I left the East Coast, I still followed things along pretty well. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the regional competition and such, uh, one day you weren't there. And then all of a sudden, there you were, pretty much everywhere. Uh, just talk about coming on the scene there and making the transition. It was it was pretty quick for you and a very, very fast success. Yeah, so, you know, I started bowling. Yeah, I moved up at a young age, uh, unfortunately, you know, around the area. I didn't travel too much as a kid, and uh, the, the youth was a little lower, you know, just not as populated around where I lived. So I moved up at a young age, started bowling regionals, and uh, that was a big learning experience, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old getting out bowling the PBA regional tour, pretty much where Guppy started. And, you know, he has 42 regional titles. So that's really where he made his name was in the PBA South region. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, obviously I've learned a ton over the years, but, you know, if I think back to just some of the guys that I roomed with when I was young, and I mean, I'm still a kid now, but we're getting up into the middle age of the PBA now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think back to just some of the memories too that were made um, on the regional tour because, you know, we had a lot of fun. I mean, we had fun on the national tour too, but, you know, we had a lot of fun in the pro-ams and stuff back then. I remember, 
you know, we bowl two, three shifts of pro-ams just hanging out with the people, you know, just enjoying being a pro bowler and, you know, people enjoying what we do. And it was just a lot of, a lot of great vibes, you know, on the regional tour and, and, um, you know, the transition from the regional tour to the national tour, that was a big step. You know, obviously jumping into the regional tour took me several years and I did start lighting fire on the cheetah pattern. I've probably got about six or seven regionals on cheetah down in the South. But, uh, you know, the national tour was a completely different stage. You know, the, the experience and the talent from the regional to the national level, we get a taste of it at the regional level. But, you know, the, the talent pool on the national tour was one of the biggest differences that I've seen. And, uh, you know, it, it's taken me several years. You know, I, I've bowled on the national tour for five or six years now, probably. And and uh, it's it's been a lot. But, you know, it's taught me a lot of things. You know, now getting sponsored by Storm four years ago was another big step in my career that really helped elevate my game on the national tour level. And, and you know, now we're just trying to, to keep learning as much as we can. You know, speed control was one of the main things I learned going from regional to national tour. And, uh, you know, it's it's still an experience every day, but just blessed to be doing what I love for a living and being able to entertain when I can. Now, before we get too far into your career, I do have a question about the early parts of your career. Uh, a lot of kids these days are two-handed players because they watched Belmore growing up from starting about 08, 09 when he first got on tour to what he's you know done now. Uh, but at that point in your life, you were in your late teens, so you had already uh, started your path down that, you know, your path down that road. How did you decide to be a two-handed player? You know, so it was kind of funny. I really didn't know Oscu or Belmo till I was probably like 16, you know, back in 08, uh, whenever they started coming on the scene. And for me, you know, my father always said that whenever I was a little boy, I was always whining and wanting to throw his ball. Well, of course, Guppy's going to let me throw a heavy ball. So he starts me with 10 or 12 pounds when I'm three, four years old. And uh, I kind of had to develop it, you know, over the years. I'm I'm not very strong one-handed. Like if you see me bowl one-handed, I'd probably still be making frosties at Wendy's. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the two, that's pretty much where it started. Guppy started me with a heavy ball as a kid. And so I kind of had to cradle it and do the two-handed style. And that's kind of what I learned growing up. And, you know, luckily for Guppy, he never tried to change. You know, he let me be a kid, go have fun, which I think is one of the most important things at a young age is for you to, for the kids to go out and have fun however they want to throw the ball. You know, because then you never know what you might learn and pick up at a young age is bowling and bowling and bowling. And that's uh-huh. kind of how I developed in a two handed bowler. You know, I luckily got started with a heavy ball. So shout out to Gut for that. And and uh, I did switch for about four or five months whenever I was probably 12 years old. No good. We went right back to two handed. <laughs> so, you know, back then coaches didn't know how to coach the two-handed style. So did your dad coach you or did you just kind of watch players and learn from them? How did you uh, kind of get to where you where you got to and then how you where you got now? Yeah, so that's kind of the funny thing. Um, when it comes to bowling, my dad didn't teach me hardly anything because, you know, he was one of the straightest one-handed players uh-huh. and uh, I had more rev rate in one shot than his whole game combined. So <laughs> that made it a little difficult for him to teach me how to bowl two-handed. Obviously, he had never seen it before, but... Um, you know, he did, you know, he did teach me some important things. Strikes are for show, spares make the dough. That mm-hmm. was one thing as far as the bowling side of it. But I do have to credit um, a gentleman, Ron Clifton. That was probably the first coach that I worked with. He lives in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and he's he's had a, a long coaching career. And he was probably the first guy that, you know, we worked together for a solid year, year and a half, probably back in 2012, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. And, you know, I started really getting some solid lessons. And before then, I was just kind of 
self-taught bowling as a kid, throwing it really hard. You know, all I knew how to do was play up five. But when that worked, hey, we were picking it out and having a good time. And when it didn't, we were on to the next one most of the time. But uh, pretty self-taught. And then, you know, have to credit Ron Clifton. And I still go see him from time to time for a tune-up, you know, if I feel like I'm a little off. Now, of course, you mentioned the the regional tour and how that played a role in, in getting you ready for national competition. And when the, the PBA tour is not going on, the, the regionals are, are a good place to be. Uh, but lately, there hasn't been any bowling. Uh, you mentioned being able to get in the center uh, here and there over the couple months. Uh, but what have you done to to stay sharp and stay ready for, for when it was time? And uh, how has this free time or extra time, how's that affected your hair regimen as well? Well, you know, this this time off has been a little difficult for the bowling side of it. Um, you know, if I f- rewind back to the World Series when I came home from Vegas, you know, I took probably two weeks off. Obviously, we took more than two weeks off of bowling because nobody could bowl. But I really, you know, didn't really work out much. Just kind of hit the reset after three months on tour. And, um, you know, I took this time a lot to focus on you know my health and, and fitness because I really can't bowl right now. I'm not real big on, you know, yard bowling and you know, sliding, you know, I think with two handed, it's a little more difficult to do like drills at home. So I tried to really just take care of my body right now because I know it's going to be difficult whenever we were to get back into the swing of things. And uh, so that was a big focus of mine the last few months. And, uh, you know, mental preparation, just trying to, you know, still watch some videos and just stay mentally sharp, you know, with whatever it was that I was doing. But uh, it's definitely been a little difficult time. But, uh, you know, like I said, luckily, I was blessed to be able to throw some shots, you know, get some bowling in over the last month or so. And uh, luckily I have been bowling probably the best of my career so far this year. And uh, so it, it did, it kind of, it went away a little bit for sure from my feel back in March, but luckily I feel like I've been able to pick back up pretty well. And um, you know, I have been putting in a good amount of work probably a little earlier than most of the other players. So it might be a little advantage coming back whenever we do get back into the full swing of things. Now, 2020 was going well for you on the lanes. A couple of titles, uh, and then at home, uh, personally, things uh, a little, little bit different. Some some emotions there. Um, let's recap 2020 there, and 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 just both sides of those things. And then, of course, I imagine that would make this time at home with your brother and your dad pretty special as well. Yeah, you know, 2020 has been, you know, like I said, probably the best year of my career. Uh, you know, the bowling side of it, you know, started off a little rough the first couple of weeks, but, you know, that's just going to happen when you get back out on the tour. And, uh, you know, winning the title in Jonesboro, uh, leading that tournament, being able to win as the number one seed for the first time in my career, that was a huge confidence boost for me, uh, especially knowing how difficult um, hijinks and Jonesboro plays. So that was that was a big win, and I'm a big confidence guy too. So uh, that was huge for me to carry forward into February. Obviously, you know, the doubles tournament with Jesper couldn't have went any better. Uh, I think our chemistry and we were just, we've been looking forward to that event for so long. Uh, it felt good to get that win as well. Um, you know, I did, uh, my mother did pass away in the middle of the season. Um, you know, that was a difficult time for, for sure. Uh, but it's actually, you know, it's taught me a lot. You know, obviously family has always been very close to me, but, you know, it, might be sad to say, but, you know, a death always brings family closer and brings your loved ones closer. And, and uh, so we've been blessed, especially during this time off to enjoy family time and uh, just really be able to spend a little more time, especially I've been able to spend more time at home, which I was probably home 50 days last year. So uh, it's been nice to enjoy some time at home, get out, do some other things, go fishing, you know, get guppy out on the golf course, just, you know, enjoy time around each other. And, you know, um, 
there's always things to learn from it too. I think, you know, whenever you have a death in the family and, and for me, it kind of changed my outlook on life a little bit. You know, um, I'm, I've always been a very happy outgoing guy. And, you know, um, one thing that my mother did say was, you know, to, to be the best that you can be. And, um, you know, so I take that to heart, but you know, the one thing I do remember saying at, at her celebration of life was, you know, to try and put another smile on somebody's face. Cause I was overwhelmed with the messages and texts and posts from so many people that had met my mother from bowling, you know, from where she's worked. And uh, she brought smiles to so many people's faces. And so I'm just trying to, you know, be an even better version of myself. And I think um, a lot of people could take that. And, you know, um, especially now with all the crazy stuff going on in the world, I think uh, the more joy and just happiness and kindness that we can spread, yeah, I think it's going to be better for, for all of us. It's uh, pretty special to be able to take something uh, and, and find the positive in it in, in the way that you did. Um, and and now, again, 2020, the two titles, completely different emotionally for you, of course. One uh, your mom was able to, to see, and then one uh, shortly after uh, that you got to share with, with Jesper. Can, can you talk about the emotions of those two wins and kind of how well, one was different than the other and, and really what that second one meant and would have meant to her to know that that, that happened? Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, whenever, uh, let's see, Jonesboro was probably the end of January. And, uh, you know, I knew my mother had been struggling a lot. Um, I didn't really know, like, how bad it was back home. But, uh, you know, I knew she'd had a lot of rough days. You know, she w- was struggling. So, you know, to get that win for her, um, you know, the amount of joy that I know it brought her and the family back home while I had been on the road for a month and a half, uh, that that was pretty special for sure just because, you know, for me, yeah, I was able to win a title, but it was way more important to, uh, you know, bring a smile to my mother's face. And uh, if you go to the following week at the Tournament of Champions, you know, I, I bowled 178 the last game to miss the TV show by six pens. Uh-huh. That was one of the most heartbreaking things that's ever happened to me. But everything happens for a reason. I was able to come home the next day and I was able to be home before my mother passed with our family. So, um, you know, that happened for a reason. And then obviously the doubles, you know, Jesper and I had been talking about we were going to win that event for quite some time. But, you know, Jesper also lost a loved one uh, probably about four to five months ago. And, you know, losing mom, you know, um, you know, we our sights were set on winning this for those people. You know, we didn't even want to win it for ourselves from the first shot of practice. You know, our goal was to win this tournament for everyone else. You know, and, um, you know, you could see the amount of emotion. You know, Jesper is like a family member to us. You know, he, he's my brother. And uh, to, for him to be able to share that moment, Guppy being there uh, that entire week in Indianapolis, uh, that, you know, I, no way I could say one was more important or more special than the other. But that just, you know, I wouldn't say there's pressure on it, but just the way it all folded out, it was a perfect week. Um, I'll never forget that day. Uh, there wasn't a cloud in the sky the day of the TV show. And, uh, you know, I was like, yes, it's going to be a, it's going to be a special day. And not only did we win the doubles, you know, he was, he was able to turn around and win the singles as well. And, you know, we, we capped off that day. I know we had people looking down on us and, and helping us through that, through that day and and that show. And, uh, it was just very fulfilling. And, and I know that, you know, it, it made mom happy up in heaven. And, uh, I think it made a lot of people happy, you know, around the world just because, you know, I feel like, um, they can, they relate to us a little bit, you know, if they've lost someone or they feel like they've built a connection with, with us just by being on TV and stuff. And, and, uh, so it was a really joyful moment for, I think a lot more people than just myself and Jesper. Uh, 
I've got a question about that doubles event. That's the second time you guys have won. You previously won it back in 2017, and you talked to a lot of great doubles teams, and a lot of the things they talk about about why they're successful is typically with right-handers being more dominant you know, in the population than left-handers. The, the guys talk about they can work off each other, they can read each other, but you guys are on two opposite ends of the lane, both two-handers, but left and right. What is it about that doubles event and how well you two work together and bowl together uh, that's why you've come out successful twice now? So I think there's a few points that really make us, I think, one of the best doubles teams in the PBA at this point in time. Uh, you know, the, the one thing I think from the bowling side of it, yes, we are on the opposite sides of the lane. I normally do not ever understand what's going on on the left side of the lane. But <laughs> luckily for Jesper, he has 600 rev rate and he throws urethane almost all the time. I love throwing urethane. So that kind of worked out that I might not know what the left side of the lane is doing, but I still understand his ball shape very well. So, and then he is now ball with me enough. And, you know, we've started rooming together the last year and a half. And uh, so he, we've able to, we're able to understand each other's game when it comes to lane play and kind of ball roll and ball motion. But I think what is more important and what makes us so strong is our chemistry with one another. Uh, I'm big on chemistry, you know, when it comes to team events, doubles events, whatever it may be. You know, I think a strong chemistry and, you know, we, I mean, that's, that's my best friend, you know, and we started trap, we started rooming together in the playoffs last year in Maine. So April of last year was the first time we roomed together and we've roomed together ever since. And I think that also, uh, you know, just built our connection and chemistry even stronger because we, we wanted to both win, you know, we, we made some changes in our mental games and the way we prepare back in August in the summer swing. And then, Jesper went on to win in Thailand. I've won two titles. He's won two titles. You know, so it's, I think a lot of the stuff off the lanes has really built us uh, such a strong chemistry between our team that, you know, we never get rattled. And the last thing is our personalities. He's got the killer instinct. I've got the, I've got the, the playfulness. And mm -hmm. at times, you know, I can lighten the mood for us if he's a little too serious or gets a little fried out. And then on the other hand, go uh, if we speak back to the doubles we took the lead the first game of match play as soon as we got the lead over belmo and billy said all right let's not give the lead back for the rest of the day and i'm like bro we, i mean my mind we got 15 games of match play left you know i'm gonna try and just keep going well because i know anything can happen right that killer instinct kicked in and you know okay that's what you want to do well let's put the pedal to the floor and we were able to lead by 589 pence so you know i think the uh <laughs> mix of personalities goes really well also and so i think that that solidifies that uh you know opposites attract when it comes to when it comes to certain things and i was hoping to get that answer from you because a lot of the top performers we've talked to here on the show whether it's a team event at the oc or doubles partners or what have you we've asked them what makes you all so good they'll talk about yeah we're all talented players and we can read a lane sheet and we can transition off one another and, and talk ball motion but everyone we've talked to has said but our chemistry is great we're not just great bowlers on the lanes that team up. We're really good friends off the lanes. You know, the guys that talk about it, they, they say they bowl a team event in Reno, and they don't just get in town, go to their hotels, go to the stadium bowl, go back to their hotels. They have dinner together. They do things together. They catch a Reno Aces game, or they go up to Tahoe. Uh, they hang out. They're friends. And that chemistry is almost more important, uh, certainly as important, as the ability to work with one another in the pit area, on the lanes, read ball motion, talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, it's the chemistry where these events are won at. Uh, I mean, I, I completely agree with that 100%. You know, talent can only take you so far. Uh, mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I think the, the chemistry and, 
you know, the more times that you bowl together and the more you learn tendencies of one another, the way to communicate, I think communication is another big thing that I did leave out with me and Jesper. We know how to communicate with each other really well. And, you know, but like you said, it all boils down to chemistry at the end of the day. So Kyle, as we transition here, I'll just drop in and say uh, that uh, I am left-handed as well. Uh, and most of the time, I also have no clue what's happening over there either. So uh, I'll, just, uh, I'll just add that to the conversation, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll move forward here. Uh, but uh, you got to warn reckon- me when you do that, man. <laughs> hey, you never know. That's, that's what I do. Hey, the one thing, the one good thing for you, though, Matt, the world does spin that way. So when it hits yeah. a certain point, y'all are going to get it. And then I want to know what's going on. on give that me a head, side tell Jesper, give me a I heads like up. That. Something. Let me know it's coming. <laughs> I like, um, yeah, you got to look at the moon when it's like three quarter solstice on the one side, then you know, the left's going to be good I've, that week. <laughs> I'm making notes I'm right now. <laughs> give my new, theory, ready. new theories for lane play in tournaments. Look at the moon. <laughs> so Kyle, you mentioned so far, a lot of talk about family and friends and chemistry, uh, but it's, it'd be easy to, to look at you on the lanes and, and out there. Uh, kind of as a one-man show, um, you know, the Kyle Troop, um, the brand out there trying to trying to be that guy. But really, as you said, it's the, the Troop legacy. You're trying to, to carry forward what Guppy established uh, in the 70s and 80s uh, and family and friendship, very important to you. Uh, so that's the perfect opportunity to transition to the Open Championships and Team USA and um, some of the things that you get to, to experience. Um, and we'll talk about your Open Championships group going back. You started in 2013. Uh, you bowl with uh, team captain is Chris Hans, and he does a lot of work. It's a big group. Uh, you guys are a handful. You, you'd have to admit that, uh, but a lot of fun. A lot goes into that. And uh, in a way, though, you kind of almost disappear into that group. Very talented, uh, but you guys are out there all in matching jerseys, and it's all about the team event. Um You've already cleared up what some folks might say about Kyle Troop is 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 about himself and his brand. Um, talk about being in that group and just kind of disappearing and, and what you bring to it um, and, and how much fun it is to be part of a team like that. Yeah, most definitely. You know, uh, first off, you know, big hats off to Chris Hans and, and the before the first frame teams that he has put together. The amount of work that he has went through the last several years um, is, is tremendous. I could not imagine putting together – I believe we had 20 people back in 2013. I know our groups were a little bigger uh, in previous years. And uh, but, you know, when you go to speak, you know, it is all about the team. When you bowl nationals, you know, if, if you're out there for yourself, you're probably not going to win an eagle. You know, whether you know it, some guys go out, they focus on singles, they focus on all events, the brackets, the action, you know, they got to try and make money. You know, obviously we want to make money. But, you know, when you if the goal is to win an eagle and I think that's the most important part. And, uh, you know, just blending into the team, whenever I bowl with a lot of these guys, you know, I've known a lot of these guys for a long time. You know, it's a lot of local players from back home and uh, some other players that we've met throughout the country. But, you know, it, I don't feel any different than these guys uh, other than the one year that I wore a name shirt. I was the only guy to have a name on the back of the jersey <laughs> out of 20 guys. So, you know, that, that might have been a little weird. But, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy the, the team aspect of it and what it takes to compete and succeed at the open championships because it takes more than just five talented players. You know, it takes, it takes a team. It takes a lot of work and it's not going to happen overnight. You know, 2013 was our first year and we're still putting together teams trying to, you know, trying to get that win. And uh, it's a a constant building process, but you know, Chris Hans has been the rock, the captain of the team and, and uh, we wouldn't be bowling nationals if it wasn't for that guy. 
Well, coming into your debut in, in 2013, it was one year removed from Ryan Whitney, who was in that photo there, uh, and his breakout performance. He had a 300 game on a very tough condition in 2012 in Baton Rouge uh, and made a run at all events. Uh, so he, of course, was a celebrity coming into 2013, and, and you were still really getting started. Um, and looking at the numbers, Daniel's our numbers guy, uh, but uh, looking at the, the team event, nothing special there for you, and then things really got rolling in your OC career. Uh, tell us about that that debut coming in, seeing the venue for the first time, uh, just a little bit about the experience and, and kind of what happened in that team event uh, right before things really got rolling for you. Well, it looks like I didn't bowl very good that year. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, being, you know, it, thinking back to that, you know, my first time bowling nationals, that's a huge stage. You know, mm-hmm. it, if you go in thinking, okay, well, I've got to have pretty much three of the best games of my life. You know, that's one way. And I'm, that's how I was thinking. Like, you know, I probably put a lot of pressure on myself just because you have to beat 10,000 people and you get one set to do it. And, uh, you know, so as you can see there, I bowled 550 in team. Uh, I do also know that the team pattern has been a lot more difficult almost, I mean, almost every year, you know, because it's a little shorter, it hooks more. And, um, you know, back then uh, my game wasn't very developed, I'd say either. But, you know, once I once I shook the nerves of bowling the team event and, uh, you know, the one luckily one lucky thing with our team is we like to have fun. You know, we're, we're not shy to, to have a Bud Light while we're bowling the bowling the open because, you know, we're all there to enjoy our company with one another and compete. And uh, as you can see, you know, once we got through the team, the nerves were probably shaking a little bit and I uh, was able to relax a little more and settle in. But, you know, I think the big thing was just adjusting to the stage. Uh, 2013, I'd probably bowled a couple tour stops. But that I would say that's probably the biggest tournament I ever, I'd ever bowled to date in my career at that point. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I look back at my all events total, 1940. And then you can see the rest. That's about, I feel like, what I, my max has kind of been most years is around 1900. One of the patterns, you know, normally catches me off guard. But, but um, it's been fun. And I. I was kind of wondering what my scores were the last several years. So this is nice to look at. Had you, uh, had you bowled in the stadium before 2013? Uh, no, I haven't. Cause you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think I'd bowled many tour stops then mm-hmm. the world series may have been there one year, but I hadn't been bowling the world series yet. So that was also my first time bowling in the stadium and that so alone, bowling. you know, just the, exactly. So, yeah. Go ahead. yeah. I was going to say, you know, the look of the entire stadium, I've never seen a building this big, the stands mm-hmm. up top, you know, marching out down that walkway, you know, just the prestige of it, you know, it was something I'd never experienced before. And and that's, uh, you know, once I bowled that first year, I realized, you know, hey, this is a special event that I want to be a part of every year because of the prestige and and the 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 company that you get to bowl and compete and enjoy time with, you know, because like you said, it's not just bowling and go back to dinner. You know, we would do team outings, dinners, stuff like that, have a night out on the town whatever it may be, but, you know, all of that, you know, back in 2013, it got it started up and has really got me itching for more. Now for, for those guys, of course, uh, just being a part of that group, I would imagine would uh, be enticing enough to join the open championships. But uh, you mentioned kind of moving into things at a young age and by then uh, already tour caliber, uh, what took so long to get to the OC and uh, what was it uh, really about that first experience that made you want to come back every year uh, besides the camaraderie? You know, honestly, if, if I think back to what might have taken me so long to bowl was you know, I really didn't have a team. You know, I, I hadn't I didn't take the urge of putting a team together. You know, I was bowling regionals all the time, uh, you know, financially eight years ago, didn't have quite as much money. So 
you know, that's a big investment to go bowl nationals, you know, especially going out to play the brackets and everything like that as well. And, and, uh, but I think the big thing was, I just didn't really have a team that was built that had really asked me to bowl. I didn't really reach out to try and build a team, but you know, once Chris Hans called, um, yeah, I'd been bowling a lot of tournaments on Rocky Mount. He runs a team challenge a couple times a year, uh, hosted regionals. Yeah, I'd known Chris, and whenever he gave me the call, I was really excited because he had en- he had envisioned this team. You know, it's not like, hey, let's go bowl nationals. Like, hey, I want to build a winning team. And, you know, we started with 20, and it was a little more fun, um, maybe not as competitive as we could have been. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now as we fast forward over the years, our teams have gotten a little smaller. Our group, uh, you know, our core group, you know, we've still had Ryan Whitney, Chris Hans, myself, you know, we've bowled together several years. And, and um, you know, now I'd say as we've progressed through the years, you know, because one, it's also difficult to get 20 people to pay travel arrangements, all that stuff, you know, bringing it down to 10, less stress for Hans. And we're able to focus a little bit more. And actually, you know, we had a team practice last year in out in North Carolina with four out of the five guys. So, you know, we're able to do some other things now whenever we shrink the team down a little bit more, but, you know, uh, I got to thank Chris for that call because, you know, I knew I'd get out to open championships, but I'm glad that he called and, you know, it didn't take me any longer to do so. Now, a question about that preparation. You mentioned you all had a team practice down there in North Carolina. When you guys do that, when you're preparing for the open, do you just get the guys together and bowl on something tough? Do you put down a previous version of a team event pattern? Uh, you know, what's your game plan going into a team preparation like that? Yeah, so this was the first year that we were able to put together a type of uh, team practice before nationals. And, you know, we did put out some previous patterns. Um, but, you know, one thing that we tried to do was, you know, we're not trying to play the pattern to get a game plan to play the lanes because it's right. a completely different bowling center, different lanes, different pattern, everything. Right. But it was more to just understand the tendencies of each player. You know, we had added two new members last year, Brian Locke and a young two-hander, 20 years old and uh, a, a veteran player, Jeff Beasley. And uh, so we just wanted to learn each other's tendencies. And, you know, we kind of had an idea of what balls we were going to be taking. So, you know, to go through um, your progression of ball changes, seeing like, oh, okay, when we go from here to the middle part of the lane, we know this ball doesn't look as good. So it was a little more of the, the picky things. And then just understanding what each player sees. Like, Oh, okay. You know, because I don't understand everybody's ball roll and what's a good shot and what's a bad shot. But, uh-huh. you know, being able to practice together, be like, oh, did you get around that one more? Okay, makes sense why I didn't hook. You know, the little things like that that you really can't be trying to work on when you get out to nationals. Right. You know? So that was um, a big help for us. And, you know, it proved, you know, we had a pretty good year in team last year. One uh, one follow-up to that, and I don't want you to give away all your secrets, but when you're preparing an arsenal or when your group is looking at bowling balls and getting ready, uh, certainly different motions, different cores, um, surfaces match up to different players. Uh, and, and, you know, I might like something that you don't like, but how do you choose your benchmark pieces that you're going to take out there? What are you looking for in your bag when you go to nationals? You know, yeah, I mean, that's a that's something that I've learned, you know, with nationals and just bowling in general, you know, as I'm starting to travel overseas a lot more. But, you know, um, and I would speak for this with nationals and probably if I was to go bowl a tournament and could only take six balls. Um, You know, for me, obviously, my spare ball always goes. But then Mm -hmm. whenever you break it down, I think the one important thing is to have at least three different shapes, because in the past, uh, if I even think back to like U.S. Open, whenever we had eight balls to check or 10 balls to check. I'd check four that are really, really similar and probably two that were similar. And I'm stuck with two, three shapes max. So I always want to have like 
a stronger asymmetric ball that's pretty smooth. I want to have a weak ball that really hooks a lot down lane. I'll fill one with my favorite ball, probably a phase two, whatever your favorite benchmark ball is. Your spare mm-hmm. ball's four. And then urethane, you know, that was a big thing that we started using last year that we were kind of afraid of in the past. Urethane's going to trash the team pair. Mm-hmm. I think it all depends on how you use it, but I think a urethane ball has to go just about everywhere. So, I mean, that's five. And then an, an extra ball, maybe a, a discontinued ball or a ball that's got a ton of games on it that gives you a trick shape. You know, um, I think it's good to have three to four core balls, one or two ASIMs, one or two symmetrics with a few different shapes, spare ball. And then you fill that sixth one in with whatever ball you want. It could be a, a really weak ball, a really old ball. You know, I think that the wild card would be my sixth ball. Okay. Now, Kyle, we've got a couple of funny years to talk about here coming up, 2014 and 2019. Uh, before we do, quick PSA for our OC fans and bowlers watching today on Bull TV, on Facebook, and on YouTube, you mentioned that you didn't go sooner because you hadn't been invited. And that is the number one reason that we hear from the bowlers, why they don't come to the Open Championships, why they don't bowl sooner, uh, right up there with they don't think they can compete. So uh, I challenge all the folks who are watching, uh, if you're coming to the Open Championships, hopefully you are, uh, tell somebody about it. Bring somebody along. They always have the sub board. There's always teams looking for people, big groups like Chris Hans and um, – and yeah, that's how you, you, you get it. You, you come the first time, you're probably going to want to keep coming. Yeah. And I mean, I actually subbed um, in Syracuse two years ago. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Our team, I wasn't able to travel with my team, but I still wanted to go compete. So I put myself on the sub board and, and that was a lot of fun too. You know, it's a, you know, like you said, don't be afraid to, if you don't have a team to go out and uh, put your name on the sub board. Cause that was probably one of the most fun years I'd had as well. You know, just bowling with some people that I hadn't met and really just enjoying the camaraderie and the, the company on the lanes. And there you are making friends. Go, at yeah. the OC. Uh, again, you just, you came out, you were there, uh, you got on a sub board, you found a team and, and probably some, some fans for life. They had a great time and, and you got to bowl in the OC. That. And, uh, it might be intimidating thinking about making the trip and not having a team already, but there's an online sub board as well. A lot of great groups on Facebook and social media to be able to, to meet up with people. And of course, just ask around and, uh, and, and get there. Uh, because it is a, a monumental experience, uh, and we'll transition now to 2014, which was a pretty amazing experience for us as well. We got to have you guys on the live stream that year. Some of the success the group had in the previous years. Again, Ryan Whitney had a big year in 2012. Uh, so you guys made the schedule in 2014 uh, for the live stream at the National Bowling Stadium, uh, and then and then it happened. You uh, you made history. Now uh, your legacy at the OC does not include an eagle. Uh, or a perfect game, and, and you've made runs at both in recent years. Uh, but we actually have a Kyle Troop rule, unofficially the Kyle Troop rule, and, and there it is. Uh, you were you were found, seen, caught on the live stream during practice. Uh, you were helping out a friend and uh, get a ball ready, uh, and and you admittedly now at this point uh, maybe you didn't play as close of attention as you should have to the rules in the squad room, uh, and you adjusted the surface of a bowling ball during practice, which at the time, while it was legal in PBA competition and, and other places, uh, was not at the Open Championships. So uh, you got a, a pretty quick lesson uh, in just your second Open Championships. And then we later changed the rule, the Kyle Troop rule, to be able to adjust the surface of your bowling ball uh, during practice until, uh, until the start of the competition. So uh, tell us about that experience and here in the next morning that you had a meeting with the tournament director. 
Yeah, uh, I, I'll never forget that. So, you know, when it comes down to, to what it to what had happened, uh, you know, we were bowling our eight minutes of practice. Uh, Ryan Whitney was throwing a ball and I was like, hey, you know, let me put a little bit of surface on that. Well, you know, I did. That's what, you know, I got caught. Luckily, he didn't use it. So, you know, we didn't have to go through too much trouble, but I still broke the rules and I wasn't listening in the in the meeting room. I, I mean, I was listening, but definitely needed to pay a lot more attention to that. Um, oh, my goodness. The amount of the amount of hate that I got for that. Oh, my goodness. That was rough. That was a that was a fun, tough time. Um, you know, that that event, you know, the, the team went pretty well. We bowled pretty well that day. We come in the next morning because I think we had the late shift followed by the early shift. And uh, when we, I hope this ain't one of the ones that I celebrate because we also had a lot of fun on that show. I remember Matt saying this was the most entertaining (laughs) live stream. (laughs) Wait, is this game one? Yeah, it didn't get too wild yet. (laughs) Yeah, but um, the next day we come in (laughs) <laughs> yep. See, this is what frame frame five, frame four, frame four first game. Yeah. And we're already giving it to him. It was it was a fun time and and uh, but we go in. We wake up the next morning. I come in. Chris is like, "Hey, we got to go talk to the tournament director." I'm like, "We probably drank too much last night. We had too much fun. We must have broke a rule." Well, we did break a rule, but it was just me. And uh, you know, they they showed us the video, and you know, I admittedly, you know, it was a mistake. You know, because like I said, I hadn't bowled too much. You um the open championships and you know at, at the time you know I was used to just using surface before practice was over. Um, I made a mistake. Luckily for USBCs, you know we were able to work things out. Uh, they realized that it wasn't done intentionally, and we were able to bowl singles and doubles because I literally thought I costed ten guys <laughs> us even being able to bowl singles and doubles. And I don't know what I probably wouldn't be on the team anymore <laughs> if that was the case. But you know I mean and then. The rule was a little crazy. Like I understand it. Luckily, I mean, I think it was for the good that it was changed, just because that's you know surface is part of bowling. And um, you know, I know people were allowed to make the changes in the paddock beforehand, but you also think that um, you know the quick adjustments in your eight minutes of practice. You know, I think that a little bit of surface could be needed at times. So uh, you know, luckily the rule was changed. Uh, sorry if I made some people mad or upset, but I'll try not to break any more rules. Well, you quickly went, though, from being a, a public offender to a pioneer at the OC, so the, the new rule in place now. Uh, a lot of folks grateful for that, especially with the two patterns. As you mentioned, only so many balls allowed, so the ability to, to adjust surfaces from one pattern to the other is uh, certainly very helpful and, and useful. So uh, thank you for uh, for that tough lesson and uh, and for, for being a pioneer at the OC. Definitely. You know, it was funny. I actually signed a few Aberlon pads. After that event, like I had a couple guys, hey, can you sign this Avalon pad for me? And it was funny. They must have kept it because they knew it was going to be worth something someday. So all good fun, of course. <laughs> but it worked out an innocent mistake. And uh, and here we are to talk about it all these years later. Uh, and you guys, you, you kept the group together. You had a great run there. Uh, top 30 finish, I believe, in, in that uh, event. Uh, and then um, back in 2019, it uh, it got real and it got close. And uh, at the the South Point Bowling Plaza, you guys put on quite a show. Uh, the the stands were overflowing. It's hard to get through at that point. Just the excitement uh, of what you guys did. I'll let Daniel talk a little bit about the numbers. A couple of runs at 300, a big second game. Uh, that had to be a ton of fun. And again, you're there. Uh, in one sense, uh, everybody wants to talk and have autographs and things, but they also respect your competition and. And you're very uh, 
eloquent about it in a way where you know you explain to them like let me do my thing right now and then when it's over we'll take all the time in the world for autographs and pictures and hang out and talk and uh but let me hang out with my teammates and and you guys did some cool stuff so let's talk about that okay okay sorry i didn't know if we were going to go through some numbers but yeah last year i mean the 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 team you know i knew that we had put together a core group we add like i said we added jeff beasley uh, a veteran player that was you know Super sound. He's never. He's not going to get in much trouble. And on the team event pattern, you know, you, you can't really have that that five zero set. You know, and that that's kind of you. Know, I was I shot five fifty one year in team. You know, we've always had this one set that's been pretty rough. But you know, between being able to practice together and we prepared a little bit stronger this year. Even in um, also one other thing that we did, we'll let the we'll let a secret out. But uh, you know, we tried to bowl a little bit before our event like in the other center, you know, in the other lanes, cause it was at South point. So we were able to bowl upstairs and then walk downstairs and bowl our practice. We signed up for all our brackets way early. That way we were a little loose going into the six minutes of team practice, but hmm. you know, now we're on the lanes, you know, we're having fun. We shot some big numbers, you know, and, and the way that we broke down the lanes, you know, we had one guy that was throwing urethane in a weird part of the lane, Ryan Whitney, but, it actually worked out really well to our advantage. He put up some monster numbers and, and you know, the crowd there, it worked out really great with the timing. I believe the Weber cup was about to happen and, and bowl expo, I believe if I, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of pros were out there. A lot of people were out there. I remember it was about a pile of like 50 people just mm-hmm. standing back there. We had Farrell Williams to our right. That was bowling. Who's had a lot of success in the open championships. And that was a fun night. And I remember, you know, obviously we've shot the monster second game, but it still takes a whole nother game to go. But, you know, I'm looking back with like five, six frames to go. And I'm like, yeah, we can win this Eagle. And uh, I think, you know, the team started realizing that we all might've squeezed on one or two and, you know, we came up just a little short, but knowing that we had that chance, you know, the last game, not needing like a monster 1300 or something like that, you know, knowing that we were within striking distance with three, four frames to go, just tells us that, you know, the work that we're putting in right now is working and, uh, you know, we're going to keep trying at it. Well, you guys went 958, 12.38. So monster game came in game two, uh, 10.45. And you said that last game, maybe we squeezed a couple off. You know, we looked up and we saw, you know, the, like like a, the, a hologram of that gold cup next to our name next year in Reno. <laughs> um, but just looking at the numbers, uh, you all may have hurt, ultimately hurt your chances that first game with 9.58. What might you have done as a group differently uh, to improve upon that game, because everyone above you in the standings was 10:30 or better their first game, so you were 80 pins off the pace right out the gate. What would you have done different? You know, the first game and team event, the last two or three years, it's been extremely flat. You know, quite challenging. Honestly, we were happy with 9:60 the first game. You know, we knew that you know we don't need to shoot ourselves in the foot. If we bowl 100 under the first game, we bowl 900. Yeah, I mean that's a tough hold, of, but if we could stay within 50 pins of even, the way that we were kind of playing the lanes, you know, we had some urethane going down the lane. We knew the first game was going to be tough. If we could get past that, we felt like our game plan was going to be well enough to get us going through the last couple, the last couple games. And you know, one other thing that we had changed last year was we weren't afraid to move left. You know that we've been tricked ourselves into trying to play right, trying to drill trick balls and do all this. I was like, guys, let's just bowl. Let's bowl on the pattern that's out there. Let's play it how we want it to fresh. And don't be afraid to move. You know, like 
don't move left and beat up the lane. Well, I mean, you got to move sometimes. So, yeah, between all that, but we were really happy with that first game. I don't think we could have done much different. I'm sure we might have missed a few spares, but honestly, we were happy with 50 under or better. But I didn't really know those other numbers, you know, and that just shows that first game, you know, the teams that can even get out with plus because I think that's pretty hard to do. You know, I think that's a that's still something that we'll have to focus on for, you know, the upcoming years, you know, just to being able to attack the fresh a little bit better. And, and to be fair, no one above you in the standings, the five teams above you, none of them broke 1,200 the second game. And your all's third game was higher than three of the five teams ahead of you. So it's not like you bowled terrible, you bowled great, you bowled terrible. After game two, you were kind of on pace. Um, but what was it like knowing that you were chasing that eagle? I mean, at this point in your career, you know, you've won medals with Team USA, you've won PBA, multiple PBA titles. Um, was there a different feeling chasing an eagle at the OC? Definitely. You know, it's uh, it. I think winning an Eagle is more difficult than winning a PBA title. And, you know, because you have to beat thousands and thousands of teams and people and, and, you know, just the, the stage, what everything that we spoke on before and the, the amount of prestige that comes from winning an Eagle, you know, I mean, that's the goal in life, you know, for, you know, your league bowlers, your PBA bowlers, any competitive bowler that, you know, competes, you know, they want to win an Eagle. And uh, that, yeah, I'll never forget, you know, because I'm always in the moment looking at numbers and stuff anyways. But, you know, right. I know a lot of bowlers might not want to know, oh, uh, you know, if I, if I if we can strike out, we can win the Eagle. You know, so for me, I was ready for that moment. You know, just, you know, I was talking to Hans like, hey, man, you know, we have a chance to win this. And uh, it was a different feeling. I'm getting chill bumps right now. I don't know if you can see <laughs> my hair sticking up on my arm just thinking about that because it's uh, it is a completely different feeling. And and uh, it, it hurt, you know, whenever we got done, you know, we were upset for a minute, but then, you know, we had to look, Hey, I mean, we just cracked the top 10, you know, like uh-huh. we, we had a top 10 finish for the year. That's, that's a big feat in itself. I think, you know, just because of the amount of teams and, and the, the talent that bowls at the open championships and the difficulty of the lane patterns. So uh, we were really happy with that. It was, a, it was a great moment. You know, it was a lot of excitement you know, especially with the crowd and everything, which I'm a big fan person and crowd person. So, you know, I enjoyed all that a little bit extra, but, you know, uh, we're, we're itching to get back at it again. Now, Kyle, we know that group is is talented and has accomplished some things, but experience-wise, uh, far and away, you're the guy in that department. Uh, so as part of that team, in that moment, as you're coming off that huge 1,200 game, uh, knowing numbers-wise that, that you can make a run, it ended up only being – 120 pins when it was all done but um coming off that that second game what do you say to the group to keep them focused and calm after doing such a a huge performance in game two Uh, and then especially going into the end of the game where you know anything's still really possible going into the last few frames you know i I think that's one thing that has also kind of helped our team the last couple years is you know i'm gaining a ton of experience you know competing on the pba tour and with team usa and i'm able to kind of bring some knowledge and helpful points the last few years that I wasn't able to in 2013, 14, 15. And, uh, you know, it goes, it comes back to, you know, the simple stuff, you know, focus on your process and stay in the moment. Like, Hey, that's a great game, but you know, that game's over with now. Like, you know, it was cool. We don't win. We don't get a gold medal for shooting. Was that the highest game in team last year? Yes, I believe, you know, so, I mean, that was cool to know, but you know, it was, you know, I was on the prize. Let's keep making shots, you know, and it wasn't like, all right, guys, 10 shots, we can win at Eagle. You know, I was trying to just keep them focused on making shots, you know, 
try and knock down 10 pins at the end. We'll see what our score is. And if we win, we win. And, uh, you know, that was, that's pretty much all I could say. Cause you know, we were still having fun, you know, we were, we were enjoying the moment of it all. You know, the, the mood never really got super tense or serious till probably the last couple frames. But then in that moment, you know, some of these guys may have not been in a big moment like that before being able to throw three or four in a row to, to win an Eagle. And, uh, but you know, I'm glad that our team was in that moment and being able to experience that because now we have all experienced a chance at winning an Eagle. And uh, I think it's only going to help us, you know, moving forward. Now, you mentioned the pride of that performance on the big stage. Uh, and of course the anticipation of coming back to do it again. Uh, what did you guys take away from that moment, that environment uh, that you were hoping to, to put into use in 2020 and, and hopefully still can uh, later in the year now that uh, you have some more time to think about it. But uh, what did you take away and, and what is your next appearance together going to be like on the OC stage? You know, I, I think there was nothing but positives to take from that, you know, because that was our highest finish to date for a team event, you know, with the before the first frame group. And, uh, you know, it proved, you know, I remember we had a we had our meeting with the 10 people afterwards, you know, and we realized that, you know, some of this extra work and preparation that we had put in and the way just the few changes we made in our teams, you know, make n- not even so much with people, but just the way we prepare and everything. It showed that, hey, we've got a system that's working. You know, our other team bowled very well. You know, our second our companion team bowled pretty well also, you know, for, you know, the, the, the talent. We had some talent on that team as well. But, you know, also some players that may not have, you know, been in that moment before. But, uh, you know, it was great to see both teams succeed have some, you know, I would say our two highest finishes for two teams combined as well. And, um, you know, it was just tons of positives. And, and uh, you know, in October, we're bowling third week of October. I, I don't know the exact dates, but, but uh, you know, we're going to be preparing again. Yeah, I believe we made a small change with our team because we had Beasley joined the PBA. So, you know, that's a big part of our team we're going to have to replace. And, and uh, we're working on, you know, adjusting the team the way we need to and uh you know looking forward to getting prepared again for the event and, and hopefully coming away with the eagle yeah your companion team finished uh 37th last year they struggled out the gate just like you guys did 895 so the whole the whole pair uh comparatively speaking score-wise struggled but then they went 1170 1060 so they both yeah, 11 well. i mean that was that i mean yeah so we both 400 over for the pair for the of that teams. game that was oh my gosh <laughs> i wish i could just go back and live and butters was back there so butters is bringing the party he's back there cheering oh, I'm enjoy- oh man that was that was just such a that was a great night like i'm never gonna forget that whole night the doubles and singles there wasn't too many fireworks because we was bowling super late mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah the team event was definitely the highlight of the year well, we definitely look forward to what you guys have in store for us in 2020 in reno once again uh, this year's event is scheduled to start September 12th and will go until nearly Thanksgiving with our last team events happening on November 21st. So uh, a lot of OC talk lately and a lot of prep, and we are we are getting ready to head that way. Ferris, uh, it's only weeks away now that we're packing up and heading to Reno, and as, as Kyle mentioned, we'll see him in October. We, we are closer to our departure date for the OC in September than we are – from when we would have left back in March before the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic started. So that's got me excited. All right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. it's, uh, it's not a city that will ever disappoint you. So we're looking forward to that, Kyle. We're looking forward to having you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, outside of the Open Championships, you stay pretty busy as well. We talked about your individual success, but uh, definitely need to touch on the Team USA aspect uh, of your life as well. 
2018 Team USA Trials. He got the job done, made Team USA. Uh, had a pretty great year for the red, white, and blue. Uh, again, another question is uh, what took so long? Uh, Team USA has always been there. Um, what what took so long to, to give it a go and, and come out and, and make a run? You know, that's, that's, um, that's, you know, I've, I've seen Team USA obviously followed it along, you know, throughout my career. Um, you know, at the time, you know, my job also, you know, whenever I was working at Wendy's, managing a Wendy's, um, I think some of these extra things, you know, just knowing how much time would need to be committed to be on Team USA, the amount of travel that might be involved with that, um, you know, five or six years ago, yeah, I was pumping them frosties out and trying to sneak the regionals in when I could. So I'd have to say a little bit was just kind of life got in the way. And, um, you know, and then once I, I quit my job back in 2016 and, you know, I wanted to start, you know, accelerating my career and excelling and and uh, trying to gain new experiences. And then, you know, I, it just it hit me. I got a little older. I think I was a little young, didn't didn't want to bowl on Team USA, didn't really think I could make it on Team USA either. You know, I, I didn't think that my talent was close to the guys that were on the team, say six, seven, eight years ago. But, you know, so between maturing a little bit, you know, um, you know, obviously my career opening up more and, and uh, my talent uh, rising a little bit, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, I think I can make the team. I think I can be a good addition to the red, white, and blue. And, and I want to represent my country. You know, this is uh, another very prideful thing to do to wear USA and the red, white, and blue on your back. And it's going to be, you know, the few tournaments that I've bowled, the, I mean, the, the prestige of that as well, you know, representing your country and seeing all the other countries and the ceremonies that they do, all of it has been a, a great experience. And, and uh, you know, luckily I, I'm on the team this year. We will be on the team next year with the COVID thing. So, uh, you know, hopefully I've got a, a long career ahead of me with Team USA. All right, now just stepping back real quick before we show a video here. Uh, you mentioned leaving the full-time job, the security uh, of having those hours and that money. Um, how hard of a decision was it to leave the Baconators behind uh, to shake off the frosty weight and get out there and bowl full time and know that that's how you're going to make a living? That is so great. The frosty weight, <laughs> you know, man, that was, it was a decision that I would been fighting with myself for, you know, probably a year leading up to that date. Um, whenever I did finally quit at Wendy's, I was only working probably three days a week, you know, nine hours a day, you know, trying to, you know, I was so scared to not have that guaranteed paycheck back home. You know, like, hey, if I go out and I bowl and, and I bowl bad, I'm going to lose money and then I don't have a job. And, you know, so I think the the fear of it all kind of kept me working for a long time. And then, you know, I'd won my first title in 2015, was still working at Wendy's that following year, you know, just talking to a lot of people, you know, being getting signed on by Storm. Uh, things just changed in my life a little bit. And, I'm like, well, I know I want to be a professional bowler for the rest of my life. So I need to just go ahead and do it, you know, and that's kind of what it was. You have to just take the jump. And it was the greatest decision I've ever made because then I was able to, to start working out, start practicing a lot more not having to squeeze in a couple games after working nine hours, you know, or and then the travel coming home Sunday night, getting home from a regional at one o'clock, having to be in there at seven. Yeah, it was able to just focus so much more on myself and my and my bowling. And then, uh, you know, it's, like I said, a great decision. And, um, you know, I, I still got to thank Wendy's for a lot because they taught me a lot growing up, you know, a lot of people skills, communication. And, you know, I was a really good manager. You know, they kind of let me make my schedule how I wanted. So yeah, it taught me a lot, you know, for off the lanes in bowling. 
Well, here's a, a big moment in your career and, and a moment where you're able to teach the folks at home some things and uh, let everybody know you're ready for Team USA. Big finish, the 2018 Team USA Trials. You're the champion, earning a spot as well at the World Cup, which we'll talk about. Uh, tell us about this this finish and, and what this meant to you. Yeah, this week, uh, you know, I remember that was January of 18. Um, if I think back to the practice session, the practice session on the four patterns could not have went any worse for me. I did not throw a double. I was like the equipment I had, you know, and I was like, hey, I'm going to have to hook it a lot more. Like I hadn't seen, you know, the Kegel patterns in a while after bowling on tour and the lanes were playing a little different. But, um, you know, moving through that week, being able to win team trials, I think is one of the more difficult tournaments to win because it, it you have to have consistency throughout all five days. And uh, for me to be able to compete on multiple length patterns, you know, I think it showed a lot of people like, hey, I'm not just the one trick pony anymore. I'm learning to curve the lane. I'm learning to throw it slower. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was a big confidence boost for me to to beat out a lot of the talent that was there. I mean, the studs that I bowled with on that last pair, I believe AJ Johnson, Buttrip, uh-huh. Darren Tang, I believe, and one other, you know, I mean, just the amount of talent that was on that last pair alone, you know, that was a big day with, especially with AJ and Buttrip being close to me. But, you know, it, it was, you know, one to just be able to make the team was a dream come true, but then to win and be able to go on to the World Cup, just so many great things came from that win in trials. And, and it turned out I didn't win a title that year, but, you know, I bowled really well and had some great success with USA. And, and uh, it was another, I think, boost to my career because I'd won the doubles the year before. And other than that, I hadn't won much of anything other than the Wolf in 2015 and the doubles with Jesper. So it was a big win for me in singles competition that I hadn't seen in quite some time. Well, now Team USA-wise, of course, a lot comes with that besides the benefit and, and the training camp and the ITRC and all those great things, the amazing coaches. Uh, you know That got you to the World Cup on your home turf. Your first opportunity to represent Team USA was at the World Cup in Las Vegas at Samstown. You had an awesome week uh, till the, the very end, of course. Um, you, know, you, you led the way. You, you shot 300. We have that here as well. Um, so everything went right for you up until the last game. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But uh, just tell us about your debut coming in the USA and now a 300 game at the World Cup. Wow. So, you know, it's funny that my first thought, yeah, that's pretty flush right there. But my first <laughs> thought whenever, hey, the World Cup's going to be in Vegas, I was upset because I was like, oh, I don't get to travel anywhere. Cool. <laughs> but then I was like, wait a second. It's my turf. They got to come try and win the World Cup on my land. And uh, so that alone, you know, to be able to host the World Cup, which I knew was a great event, but I had no clue how, you know, I, I, I've said prestige a few times, but the ceremonies there, you, it's one man and one woman representing their country for this event. I mean, everything, the way the event was ran, all of it was just very, you know, it was, it was great that week. Um, you know, as far as on the lanes, you know, bet- between having Rod Ross behind me, which was great, you know, something else I hadn't experienced, you know, having literally your coach standing there watching every single frame. You know, that was a little nerve wracking at first for me, just because I'm still getting to know Rod. It's my first year on the team, but luckily I was able to bowl well. So it made our uh, communication and first first meeting between each other a little easier. But uh, I mean, that was a great week. I believe I led that one by four or 500 pins. That was a, a monster week. But, you know, we, we ended up not getting the cup. Luckily, Shannon O'Keefe, 
you know, did for the women. It was awesome to get to spend the week with her, get to know Shannon a little bit more as a bowler and off the lanes and, and uh, just so many great things to take from that week and experience. I'll never forget. Uh, you ran up against a, a tough Sam Cooley in the final there. Uh, again, probably a learning opportunity. And then uh, not long after the chance to, to make that big trip that you're hoping for with team USA all the way to Hong Kong. And at the time, couple of years ago, the longest flight for us that, uh, that was offered by American Airlines. So it's pretty far away. You had that opportunity. Uh, you got selected to, to join the team for the World Men's Championships. Uh, some momentum coming off the World Cup, but also maybe something to prove uh, after the runner-up finish as well? Most definitely. You know, uh, it was quite heartbreaking to lose that. Um, I did learn a little bit, though, from that title match against Cooley. You know, he shot 260 like the lanes hadn't changed much at all. Uh, they did re-oil a few more times than we were used to in the stepladder versus through qualifying. So I tried to play the lanes the same as I did all week. He did something different, and that was the lesson learned. You know, you can't just go back to what works. You got to play what's in front of you. Uh, and then fast forward to the men's championship. You know, I was I was itching to get another shot, you know, on the, the, the USA, the world stage to, to win something, you know, because I felt like I won that World Cup, you know, but you don't win the last game, you don't win. So uh, I had a lot of motivation, a lot of confidence, big confidence guy going in. Uh, the group that we had with us, I was extremely excited to travel with these guys and compete. And, uh, you know, and I was ready to just take in the whole experience of that, which was another experience that, you know, is at the top of my list and something that I'm never going to forget. Now, in that group, uh, Andrew Anderson, Chris Barnes, Jacob Butchoff, Tommy Jones, EJ Tackett, and Kyle Troop, the who's who of the PBA Tour. Uh, and bowling right now, uh, some guys for you guys to learn from, some veterans there before their retirement, uh, and some youngsters, up-and-comers. You guys had no trouble, really, uh, getting to the medal rounds at the World Championships, uh, but once you got there, things didn't quite go so well initially, uh, and then finally, uh, it happened for you in the trios event. Tell us about that, and uh, and just finally breaking through uh, on that stage, the world stage. Yeah, that was, you know, that was kind of a rough week for me, too. I remember um, I'd made the show in the singles, I believe. Yeah, I'd made the show there. I was like, hey, you know, first tournament in, we made the show, and then I bowl 170 and lose to Rafiq. So that was, you know, upsetting. I'm like, oh, my God, here we go again. Like, you know, and the doubles, you know, we, me and Butcher didn't fare too well. But, you know, the trios, I was, I'd been looking forward to bowling with Andrew and EJ because, you know, Andrew and I had roomed together a little bit. We understand each other's game really well. And obviously EJ Tackett being one of the most talented players in the world. Uh, I knew we had a great chance of making the medal round. And once we did, you know, I think um, the communication between us, you know, that's goes back to chemistry and communication, you know, bowling that singles event, I can only communicate with myself and you know, obviously Rod Ross, but uh, you know, whenever you're able to bowl any type of team event and you have players that are bowling on the lane and can feel the transition, I think that was an advantage that we had over some of the other teams. And, uh, you know, it proved well. We, I, you know, we bowled extremely well, you know, won, won the gold medal in a pretty strong fashion in that stepladder. And to finally get a gold medal, you know, it was, it was still an honor to, to receive a medal in the singles, but it's not gold. You know, that's what we go there for. We go there for gold. And uh, that, that was the goal, to, to achieve the goal with more events to go. I mean, we, we felt like we could take down the world. You know, we, we felt like we could, we could sweep the gold from there. And, and, uh, you know, we went on to more success, but to crack the gold medal, 
you know, the, the amount of joy and excitement that we have with those guys. And it brought us three closer together. Even nowadays, you know, we want a gold medal together. That's something that you're never going to forget. So now we, uh, we have world champion Kyle Troop. That has to sound pretty sweet. Uh, but after that, uh, the team event, of course, the one that, uh, that mm. you guys go there and bowl for mm. team USA enters that event as the defending champion in the team event. The other three guys in that group, again, Barnes, Jones, and Butchuff, were on that 2017 winning team. Uh, and now you guys uh, went out there, gave it what you had, uh, but uh, history and uh, end the day, just not on your side, Italy, uh, doing something it had never done. And they were able to beat arguably one of the best Team USA squads uh, to ever take the lanes at the World Championships. Uh, wow. From the highest of highs uh, to that defeat, uh, tell us about that and now how motivated you're going to be now that 2021 is a world championships year as well and a chance at redemption for you guys. That's a tough loss. Like we're not happy about it even to this day. Like, you know, um, first off, it, it it really hurt all of us because that was Tommy and Barnes's, you know, last event in the team event, you know, or at least we were thinking so. And for those guys to go out not being able to ride out on the gold medal horse, you know, uh, that really hurt all of us. But it was just, at the end of the day, it was some bad bowling on our part. We didn't execute very well. Um, I don't think that we underestimated the other team. You know, some people say, oh, they might have, you know, because they were the underdog team. But, you know, in bowling, you can't underestimate anybody. But uh, at the end of the day, it was just some a poor excuse of bowling for us in the title match. You know, there's really no other way around it. And, uh, you know, but there's things to be learned from that. And, you know, with world championships being next year, <laughs> you best believe USA is ready to play. Uh, and I think everyone knows that, you know, we're coming back for a vengeance, especially the way that we lost that that gold medal. A couple of questions from our viewers in the chat, both on Bowl TV and then Facebook and YouTube. This question comes from Dwayne Woodard asking about your first PBA title. It's every young bowler's dream to win a tour uh, win a, t- a title, win an, an eagle at the OC, win something that is as prestigious as you can imagine. And Dwayne wants to know how you felt after you won your first career PBA title, the PBA Wolf Open, back in 2015. Yeah, you know, so I've had several big wins in my career, and you know, uh, you know, winning a gold medal, winning a first title, you know, they were all dreams of mine. But you know, obviously, winning the Wolf Open was a dream come true to win a PBA title in front of my family on TV. But uh, you know, not only was it a dream come true it really solidified my entire life. I mean, I've been bowling for 20 years, 22 years, started bowling at three years old. And uh, to finally reach the Mecca, you know, I was the top, I was the best player in that event. Uh, it, it was so much more than just a dream come true. It was, you know, a little bit of weight lifted off of my shoulders that I, I can compete on the national tour. Uh, it was it was so much more for me. You know, it was very moving and it moved me forward. It accelerated my career in so many ways. And also just made all those childhood days. And as a young kid frying out in some of these youth tournaments and, and scratch tournaments, you know, it made all of it worth it because, you know, it was, you know, that's, that's what I was fighting for and that's what I was driving towards. And, and then, uh, like I said, that win accelerated my career and gave me the confidence, confidence that I needed moving forward. Another question for one of our viewers over on the YouTube channel uh, from username mini bowler, Kyle, do you have your picks with you? Right here, you know the picks are always going. <laughs> I'm sure I got I got my drawer here too. I'm sure I could. Oh, yep. Here's another one. <laughs> you know we got picks everywhere, always. Purple, black, blue. All How many colors. do you have? Well, 
I give away <laughs> picks a lot, and I, I do okay. have about a box of about 600 sitting in the other room. Ooh. But I don't use it. I only have about two of the bigger picks that I use for my hair, which is getting pretty nice with all the uh, time off that we've had. So we've, we've seen in some of the photos we've popped up from years before that it's been shorter, it's longer now. Where, where do you personally like it, and are you going to do anything to it anytime soon? You know, so uh, Team USA, a lot of the times I believe I had the tighter curls. Um, you know, I enjoy the tighter curl look sometimes just because it's less maintenance. Uh-huh. Uh, however, you know, anytime you see it shorter, I just put some product in it or it's wet. So I'm not like getting haircuts all the time, but but uh, I'm stuck with the fro. I mean, I'm, the, I'm the, the pro with the fro, the fro bowler. You know, we got many names for it. I enjoy it. It's part of my brand. But uh, and then, you know. I can rock this for two or three days and, you know, kind of just roll with it before we need to wash it again, if, if, uh, if need be, but you know, the froze staying, it's, it's part of me. It's part of the bowling. And, uh, I think we're going to rock it. We're going to pick it out. Yep. Right, we're going to pick it out. <laughs> final question, uh, from our viewers, I'll hit you with kind of putting you on the spot on this one. This one coming from Wayne Shanky. Wayne asks, who do you like to beat the most? That's an easy question. Well, well, there's two actually. My first, my first thought is Belmo. You know, everybody wants to beat Belmo, but you know he's the best bowler in the world. Uh, I did beat him in Sweden for a title when he was defending champion. That might have been the biggest win in my career, just because of uh, how it all happened in the stage. But uh, you know, you want to beat the best, and I've lost to him stone nine at the playoffs in a roll off, and I lost by one pin at the Bolero Elite Series. So I've had some close losses to him. So anytime I can even take them 30 bonus pins away from him and match play. You know, uh-huh. uh, that's who I like to beat most. And the guy I would want to beat most, but I just can't do it. That's Jesper Svensson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to beat him, but he's got my number and he lets me know it. But, you know, as long as we can both put it together in the doubles, I guess uh-huh. I'll let him have his, I'll have it. I'll let him have his glory till we catch each other on TV. What a good friend. <laughs> Wow. All right. So, Kyle, you've, uh, you've been as entertaining as I had hoped and expected. Uh, my small chili and spicy nugs will be here shortly, so I just want to maybe wrap things up. Uh, any final thoughts or advice for, for the bowlers out there? Uh, you already mentioned your favorite winner, possibly the biggest, was uh, was that one in Sweden. But uh, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh, any, any final things you want to catch up and, and advice for the folks out there? You know, I, I think, uh, you know, well, first want to thank you guys for having me on here. Uh, speaking as far as the Open Championships go, you got to have fun. You know, don't be afraid of the big stage. You know, it's an experience you're never going to forget. Uh, if it's your first time bowling the Open Championships, be, be going with an open mind, uh, ready to just pile in all the experience and enjoy the moment with whoever you travel with. Or, you know, if you're subbing, you know, just enjoy it all because it's, it's such a great, fun event. And it's something that, you know, can become a vacation for families every year, you know, friends. And, uh, you know, other than that, you know, it goes back to just be the best that you can be. You know, let's let's spread love, not hate. You know, we love each other. We want to, we want bowling to grow. And we, uh, you know, we just, let's just be happy. Let's love each other. And, um, you know, let's all move forward together. There you have it. Some great points there, of course, in, uh, in these crazy times. Daniel Farish, any final thoughts or questions for the pro with the fro before we say goodbye from today's show? Yeah, one of the things I've said about a lot of the guests on our show is a lot of the viewer, the the guests we've had that I've talked to have been, I mean, a, a bowling generation or two older than me. And they were guys who I, I knew about their careers, 
but I didn't know all about them. And Kyle is from my generation, just a couple of years younger than I am. Uh, so I know all about what he's accomplished and what he's done. But as far as, you know, uh, being around him in person, uh, Kyle, I've only really crossed with you at the Bradley Open the last two or three years. And, you know, that's where we're competing for a check worth five figures. And and I've only seen a lot of you guys on the on the pit area side of your personality. And I haven't gotten to know you off the lanes and see, you know, what kind of person or what kind of people you all are. And this has given me a chance to see the side of you that, that we don't see on the lanes, you know, the side that's, that's at your job, that's trying to make money, the more personable side, the, 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 the more open and the, the friendlier. Cause let's, let's be honest, when we're out there trying to make money, throwing a ball, we don't have to be the friendliest. We're out there doing a job. Uh, so this has given me a chance to see the other side of you, which I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Thank you. And, you know, I, I think to just speak on that, you know, the one thing that I always say is, is, uh, you know, without fans, we don't have bowling. So, you know, to me, that's the least I can do, you know, give back to the fans, have some fun, you know, spend some time with them, conversation, whatever it may be, you know, because I'm blessed to do what I love for a living. I get to travel the world and do what I love for a living. I can't complain. And, uh, you know, I, I'm blessed and, you know, just enjoy being able to, to do this and, you know, help grow the sport and, uh, you know, do what we can for bowling. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate the great insight there, of course, and uh, and for being here on today's show. For everybody at home, thank you for watching here on Bull TV. And we'll be back next Thursday. Our next guest is scheduled to be Mike Rose Jr. So uh, some great stories there, going back to his first All Events title in 2007 and a few titles in the year since. Looking forward to that. Uh, and if you want to get your Bull TV fixed, join us again tomorrow. The Sport of Bowling Show coming up. In the afternoon, and then Monday and Wednesdays, we have the PWBA podcast. And then, of course, uh, throughout the week on Bowl TV as well, these guys working hard on some different shows, PBA, PWBA replays, uh, all kinds of good things. Daniel Ferris uh, dives in with some players as well to talk about their performances on splitting boards. Uh, so check all that out on the Bowl TV schedule. Dan Ferris and Emil Williams Jr., Curtis Von Kruger, Aaron Smith, all the guys, very busy. Uh, keeping you entertained and uh, we do again appreciate everybody joining us today remember to check out the oc bracket challenge uh, on facebook and bowl.com a lot of cool memories there being celebrated and your chance to vote on which ones you think are the most significant in open championships history kyle check that out as well get your vote in uh, it's going to be a good time and an opportunity to learn about the great history of the open championships but folks until next time that's news for now Yeah, I'm really excited to join